Hello everyone, my name is Avalyn, and as we move into today's podcast, I would like to share a personal anecdote. This past summer, I went to lunch with one of my friends who is a prominent black activist in the Boise area. As we were sitting across the table from each other, he gets a call from his mom. After discussing with her for a couple of minutes, he turns his phone over and puts it on speakerphone so I can hear. Across the line, I hear his mom begging him to make sure that he is safe and behaving himself just in case there are any police officers around. She repeats her cry that she doesn't want to lose her only son. As a white individual, this experience is and was emotionally jarring. For my friend, however, this was a normality that came with the struggle of trying to navigate life as a black person within fundamentally anti-black structures. The Black Lives Matter movement erupted in 2014 after Darren Wilson, a police officer, murdered 18-year-old Michael Brown and was subsequently not indicted. The second wave of Black Lives Matter protests to the same level happened this year in 2020 after the murders of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Jacob Blake. After six years of time and empirics to be able to analyze how the Black Lives Matter movement propagates itself, one of the most important aspects of this grassroots activism is the use of storytelling. propagation of stories is there an ability to shed light on the lived experience of black folk that non-black people of color and white people simply might not be able to grasp. This is important because it creates a type of power knowledge through the sharing and propagation of stories that combats the common sense norms that inform us about the police. This level of storytelling is important because it helps us as activists combat the dominant ideology that the police have been created and structured to keep us safe and protect us from crime. This myth has become so hegemonic that now when we see video evidence of police officers committing brutality, some people refuse to recognize that as something that is wrong or out of the ordinary. This is what makes the police state such an effective repressive state apparatus because it functions on physical repression while functioning secondarily by ideology, which is what allows them to perpetuate their violence. It creates a type of cohesion and reproduction in the values that they propound externally as according to Althusser. To understand this a little further, we can even look to the ontological foundations of the police state that are found in the plantation. Policing in southern state slaveholding states had roots in the slave patrol, which was made up of white volunteers who were enabled to use vigilante tactics to enforce laws related to slavery. So, their job was to locate and return enslaved people who had escaped, crush uprisings led by the enslaved people, and to punish enslaved workers who were believed to have violated plantation rules. The purpose was not to stop crime or to make society safer, but rather it was to respond to disorder to ensure that white society remained strong. Disorder in white society is necessarily defined in its opposition to blackness. The impact of this understanding can be seen on two levels. 
issues. The first is the normalization of brutality towards people of color, specifically black people, on behalf of the police throughout society. The second level is the criminalization, the unjust criminalization of blackness that occurs because of the historical underpinnings of the police state. Starting with the first one, because the police was fun- were fundamentally structured to respond to actions of black people, the brutal violence that they commit against black people is thus deemed as justified because blackness, as we're going to expand on further, is related to criminalness. Which leads into our second point, that this type of criminalization of blackness allows for the hegemony and disciplinary power of the police state to perpetuate itself. Patricia Hill Collins cites Foucault's ideas when she explains that the state of conscious and permanent visibility assures the automatic functioning of power. Because black individuals are easily seen, because blackness is an ontic condition, it allows the police state to know who to target, which allows them to perpetuate further ideology, even to the point that young people understand, young black people understand their position in relation to the police. This is very well demonstrated by a poem from 11-year-old Josiah, who was motivated by watching a video of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis in May of 2020. Because this video was so hard to watch, he felt sad and frustrated, so he decided to write a poem where he explains. It is hard to be on the blacklist. I know, struggling with the racist. Protests, it's gonna get violent. I know we're all struggling. Look, to me, it's color, it's all you see. George Floyd's neck under your knee. Betty Jones killed on Christmas Eve by the cops we all loved. Protest our rights are what we need. Tear gas in my eye, help me please. How did this all lead in history? My skin is not a weapon. Think about having to tell your child, the person you want to have everything, that because of their skin tone, they might not be liked or get special opportunities, or have to teach them to not let the police think you're a threat, because God forbid that, some of us live that. This shows that because of the force that the police state as a repressive state apparatus can have, we are creating new ideologies within a different community, where the hegemonic ideology in the black community is that the police are dangerous, while in white society, we are told that the police are something that is functioning to keep us safe. It is this distinction that storytelling is able to inject ideas into white society to cause or galvanize support from allies, and that allyship is key to making change. Now that we are able to understand how the dominant ideology of the police being in place to be able to protect us really means to protect the power of white society, we can look to the communication strategies of Black Lives Matter and how it is working to underpin those messages. Chanel Matthews is the lead communication strategist for Black Lives Matter, and in a recent interview, she explains how they determine success for their communication strategies and how communication will advance their goals. She says that strategic communications is three things, a blueprint for creating visibility for our work, a manifestation of our goals and visions, and our approach to maintain dialogue about what ending state-sanctioned violence against Black people look like. She critiques the idea that 
there is an ultimate success that is yet to be realized that can be based off of a specific rubric off of certain results and that can be successful or unsuccessful she rather claims that that type of framing is a false dichotomy her efforts and her goals for the black lives matter movement is to shift culture and to change the way that people think and interact with each other which they recognize takes a significant amount of time that is why the article by Aaron Ross Coleman, The Black Lives That Don't Make the Headlines Still Matter, is such an important point. Because of the systematic nature of anti-black violence that is perpetuated against black communities throughout the United States, Black Lives Matter is not just about the stories that we are being told through the media. Although those are important to raise awareness and to galvanize the poor and to create an emotionally charged response because of the pathos that comes intimately with the specific details of violence, we must also recognize that it is systemic and widespread so we can be purposeful about pushing against and removing ourselves from the problematic power relations that we may have been complicit in in the past. Moreover, Patricia Hill Collins exemplifies the communication strategies that Matthews talks about when she talks about her theory of empowerment. Patricia Hill Collins explains that having a more generalized approach and a more generalized terminology or group that people can align with is important to foster collective movements. She explains that the significance of knowledge in developing self-defined group-based standpoints is that in turn, it can foster the type of group solidarity that is necessary for resisting oppression. This approach is theoretically useful because it can lead to more empowerment through this group ideology. So, what this means in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement is although Black Lives Matter that we see in the media and in the storytelling that we are most familiar with may not be demonstrative or explicit of all of the particular micro-situations where anti-blackness permeates itself or all of the situations where state-sanctioned violence against black individuals has happened, being under the common thread means you are advocating to solve for those issues too because you are working as a group to collectively challenge systemic violence across the board. the black women who have been killed by the police. Ultimately, by the end of this podcast, 
podcast, I hope this enables you to recognize that black stories matter, that black experiences matter, and most importantly, and most holistically, that black lives matter. Thank you.